Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to uh, be back here. Grateful to be able to come up for the retreat. Almost didn't make it out with the weather, Uh, but we've really enjoyed our time. We had a great few days. Uh, Send greetings from South Florida. Our family's uh, eager to get here and looking forward to uh, Lord willing moving sometime this summer. So we love you all. We're grateful for you. We had a fun time at the men's retreat. John uh, Malone asked me this morning, was anything surprising for me? Um, And nothing was surprising. I was expecting everybody to be as warm and hospitable as they were. I wasn't expecting how intense the basketball games were. That was one thing that was surprising. Uh, That was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, we just had a wonderful time. And and one of the things that we did there, we heard testimonies and uh, Jonathan Stockland shared uh, just some things that the Lord's been doing in his life through Psalm 119. And in the spirit of that, I wanted to quickly read a couple of verses and then pray for us before we begin our time in God's Word. Uh, this is uh, verses 57 and 58 of Psalm chapter 119. It says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. With that in mind, let me pray for us. Oh God, we love you. We want to not just be hearers of your word, but we want to be doers and keepers of your word. We pray that you would keep us in this time as we hear from you, um, which you would convict us, correct us, and change us in the ways that needs to be changed, Lord. You are our portion. Um, Be gracious to us as we hear and help us to do what you say, trusting that you are good and you are gracious. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So one of the questions that gets asked several times a day in my household is, what time is it? What time is it? In fact, the other day, my three-year-old asked that question, and I answered it, but I wasn't sure what he would do with that information, because he's three. But we, as people, are bound by time, aren't we? Um, It comes up in our conversations, in our schedules, our priorities, Things that we want to do, things that we seek to do, the honey-do list that never runs out, um, our agendas that seem to get filled up really, really quickly. And then we always think that we need more time than we actually have, right? So we say things like, I just wish I had more time, or if only there were more than 24 hours in the day, or time is flying, right? And speaking of time, we might even think other things like, what time are we going to have lunch today? Or how long do you think this sermon's going to be? The jury's still out on that one. But the Bible teaches a lot about our time. The Bible teaches things like that time, like our lives, are gifts from the God, from Lord. So therefore, we should steward our time well. The Bible also teaches that time is fleeting. So time does fly. But with all of that, a question that we often wrestle with is how should we use our time? How best should we spend our time for God's glory? And with that in mind, please meet me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. If you haven't turned there already in the Bibles provided, that's on page 869, I believe. Um, The Gospel of Luke is one of four Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And in Luke's gospel, his aim is to give an orderly account of the life, the work, and the ministry, and the mission of Jesus, which is to show that he is the Savior of the world, not just of the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And even in Luke chapter 
10, it begins with Jesus uh, sending out the disciples to go and spread the good news. They were sent out, they're told to enter homes that they're welcomed into, and they're to spread the good news of the gospel. And through that chapter, all different things happen as they're interacting with people and as they're meeting up with people. And Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem at this time in his ministry because he's heading towards the cross. But at the end of the chapter, Jesus meets with a woman named Martha and her sister Mary. And Martha welcomed Jesus and her disciples into her home. But as we'll see in this passage, this impromptu dinner party, this gathering, this, this time that they had together, it didn't turn out the way that Martha quite expected it to. Because Martha needed to learn something about time and about Jesus, which is the same thing that we need to learn or be reminded of this morning. So please listen as I read Luke chapter 10. I'm starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which shall not be taken away from her. It was the main point of the sermon this morning, if you're taking notes. Jesus is the good portion. We should prioritize being in his presence. Jesus is the good portion we should prioritize being in his presence. We'll walk through the passage by focusing on these three characters. We got Mary, the humble student, Martha, the distracted servant, and then Jesus, the good portion. I think we should start with a little bit more context about Mary and Martha because it's easy for us who are familiar with this passage of the Bible to... um, kind of give Martha too much of a bad rap, or just reduce it to Martha bad, Mary good. Be like Martha. The Bible tells us that both sisters were believers in Jesus. In John chapter 11, for example, there's a lot of information about these sisters. If you want to turn there or just listen, that's where we have a lot of information about these two sisters with also their brother Lazarus. Uh, chapter 11 of Gospel of John, verse 1. Now, in a certain, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So his sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So both Mary and Martha, we'll see even later in the passage that it demonstrates their faith, they were believers in the Lord Jesus. And Jesus loved them. 
both of them. The most important thing about you this morning, Christian, and every single morning is that Jesus loves you. In the rest of John chapter 11, we can conclude that Martha also had great faith in Jesus because of what happens when she confronts Jesus after the passing of her brother. After the death of her brother, she went to find Jesus. And that's where Jesus tells her that he is the resurrection and the life, that whoever believes in her shall not die, but shall have everlasting life. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And she says, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha believed in Jesus. And she was also pretty generous and welcoming, right? She welcomed Jesus and his entourage of disciples into her home. She was generous and she was hospitable. And in fact, she was giving the kind of welcome that Jesus said you should be looking out for as you go out to preach. So Martha was kind of a person of peace that welcomed Jesus into the disciples into their home. And when they were welcomed, they were supposed to be greeted. They were supposed to be loved and cared for and fed and looked after for a while. So that wasn't easy. Martha would have had a lot of work to do if she was going to be a good host for them. But Martha had a sister named Mary. And as it says in John chapter 11, this is the same Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and anointed his feet with oil. She was humbly anointing him as king as he was on his way to the cross. Explains that a little bit more in John chapter 12 in the first few verses. Was this such a tender showing of her love and humility? And what's also interesting about this sister Mary is that these times where we see her in the Bible interacting with Jesus, where's she sitting at? The feet of Jesus. I mean, if Jesus is in the house, where else should we sit but at his feet? And Mary, like Martha, after the death of her brother, went up to Jesus and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would still be alive. Both sisters said the same words. Lord, if you had been there, they went directly to Jesus with their grief. And that's a good lesson for us this morning. Brothers and sisters, as you go through suffering and pain and trials in your life, go directly to the one that can actually do something about it, the one that loves us, the one that can comfort us and strengthen us all the way through. He's gracious, he's patient, and we can trust in him. So there they all were. You have Mary, you have Martha, you have Jesus, you have disciples. And Jesus is there teaching. So maybe they ate already and Jesus is teaching likely about his coming suffering and his future glory. The fact that the Messiah would come and that he would die, but he would eventually rise. And that's what he came to do. And that he's on his way to Jerusalem on a mission. So Jesus was in the house teaching. But what was Martha doing? The Bible says she was serving. That's what we see in verse 40. But what was Mary doing? She was sitting at Jesus' feet. Look back at Luke 10, 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to him while he was teaching. We'll focus on Mary, first of all, as the humble student. She was sitting as a humble student of Jesus. 
And notice that when she's sitting at the Lord's feet, that's a posture of humility. As it says in Psalm 131, it describes this posture of humility that we should have before God. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And a calm and quieted soul is one that's occupied not with all the things of this world, not with all the things that are too great and too marvelous, too mysterious for us, but occupied with the Lord himself. Our brothers and sisters, may I ask, what are you occupied with this morning? What's occupying your heart and your mind and your thoughts today? We're often occupied with the big questions of life or the the why questions. Like, why am I still suffering in this way? Why did this have to happen to my loved one when it did? Why are these prayers continuing to go unanswered? Why does this loved one seem to not want to turn to the Lord? Those are good questions to ask, but may I just say that those things are too great and too marvelous for us. It is often better for us to be occupied and preoccupied with the Lord and his presence. It reminds me of Psalm chapter 27. You might want to read that later, but David is talking about his struggles and different things going on in his life. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry out to you, be gracious to me and answer me. And the Lord says, seek my face. When you're occupied, seek the face of the Lord. Mary seemed to understand this because although Martha was in the proximity of Jesus, Mary was in the very presence of Jesus. She sat at his feet and she listened to him. Martha was concerned with the food in the house probably, but Mary was concerned with the very bread of life sitting in front of her. And remember, for Jesus to even accept this invitation into Martha's home would have been a big deal at that time. It would have been unheard of. It would have been seen as unfit. But that should remind us, sisters especially, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There's any way that you've been harmed or discouraged by the treatment of men in any way or ministers in any way, shape, or form. Know that they didn't get that from Jesus. Read the scriptures and see his tender care for all people, but particularly women. And Mary's posture was that of an attentive student, ready to listen to Jesus, ready to hear what he had to say, and ready to obey him. And it's interesting to contrast her posture with that of all the other people that Jesus interacted with in the Gospels. So Mary sat at his feet. She didn't sit at the table at eye level as if she and he were equals. She she wasn't there for a debate and an argument or to rile up a discussion or to accuse him of anything. She sat at his feet, eager to listen and follow his word. So what is our posture of the Lord and his word today? Some of us might approach God's word with where we pick and choose the things that we like and we don't like, we pick and choose the things that we believe, and we kind of really think it's too hard to believe. Thomas Jefferson did that. Or we treat the Bible as if only the words of Jesus are the important ones. We become red-letter Christians, for example, and all the other stuff, well, it's just other stuff. 
or we kind of pit the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And I'll spend time in the New Testament, but the Old Testament and books like Leviticus and Numbers, like, save it. Or maybe you know the Bible very well. You've been reading and studying the Bible for years, and that's great. But do you approach the Bible primarily as a teacher or a student? We should all approach God's word humbly, but also happily. Because God actually wants us to know him. He wants us to live like him. That's why we have his word. But also happily, because we can follow him in obedience by hearing his word and doing what he says. He's not left us in the dark. He's given us his word. And even as a church, that's what we gather to do every single Sunday. We're, we're rallying around, we're huddling around God's word. We sing God's word, we pray God's word, we have God's word read to us, we hear God's word preached, we encourage each other with God's word. So us gathering this morning is us trying to sit at the feet of Jesus with that posture of humility. So a few thoughts for us as we prepare to continue to gather regularly each Sunday. I think firstly, we should try to come to church rested as best as we can. Come to church rested so that you're alert and ready to hear from God's word, but also so that you're alert and ready to serve your brother or sister that's around you. Come prepared, secondly, like many of us often do. We want to know what the passage is going to be preached on so we can read it and pray through it and think about it and meditate on it. Some of us maybe even want to know what songs are going to be sung so we can think through it and kind of get our hearts stirred up before we even enter together, prepared, and also prayed up, rested, prepared, and prayed up. So if your heart wasn't feeling like you were ready to hear from the Lord, you were ready to sit at the feet of Jesus, and that can happen. Maybe there's an argument in the car on the way to church. Maybe those cute little kids didn't want to go to church. You got to drag them this morning. Pray. Use that time before you get here to ask the Lord to settle your heart so you can hear from him. We talked about Mary. Let's talk about Martha. And we got to talk about Martha, don't we? Y'all knew she was coming. So Jesus was in the house teaching. Mary was humbly sitting as a student. What was Martha doing? She was serving. So Jesus was sharing the good news of the kingdom, and Martha was cleaning off the table, putting the dishes in the dishwasher. Or starting on tomorrow's cleaning, perhaps. And she was doing a lot of good work, wasn't she? I mean, isn't it a good thing for us to serve the Lord and serve one another? It is. The Bible calls us to serve the Lord and to serve each other in humility. Hospitality is a good and a wonderful thing. And many of you are very hospitable. And even Jesus said he came to this world not to be served, but to serve. So when we serve one another, we are following our Lord. But even think of the story that comes right in front of this, this passage about Mary and Martha. So I'll ask the, the kids in the room, 
In Luke chapter 10, maybe you have your Bible in front of you, so you might see it or you might remember it. What's the story, the parable, that comes right before this story about Mary and Martha? The Good Samaritan, right? And what does Jesus tell this teacher of the law at the end of the Good Samaritan? Once he kind of figures out what Jesus is actually meaning. What are Jesus' last words to that teacher of the law? Any kid find that? What does he say? You go, there we go, you go and do likewise. You serve like this good Samaritan did. Go and do likewise, right? So then having this Mary and Martha story right after it, it might seem like it's a bit out of place, right? Go and do likewise, but then Martha's the one that's going and doing, and she's doing too much. Like, what's going on here? But the Bible says more about Martha that she's a servant. The Bible calls Martha a distracted servant. That's what it says in verse 40 of Luke chapter 10. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? My sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. I'm not sure, but Martha was probably big sister, right? You might have younger siblings like that, and it's like, yeah, they just kind of slouch around a little bit, right? And some of us in the room might be thinking, yeah, I know Martha. I are Martha. That's me, cooking, cleaning, serving everybody else so that everybody else can have this enjoyable time and experience. They get to sit and laugh and joke. But the machine has to keep going, right? And I'm the one that keeps that going. Although Martha was helpful and thoughtful, she was described as being distracted by her servant. And that word in the Greek is interesting because what it translates to is to be pulled away. So picture Jesus in the house, teaching, people listening, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Maybe Martha's interested, she wants to lean in, but she's being pulled away from Jesus. By what? By her serving. One thing we should ask ourselves, or maybe even those who are close to us who know us well, what's pulling us? away from Jesus. It might be a good thing. It might be a great thing. But there's nothing worth keeping if it's keeping us from Jesus. The text says that she was distracted with much serving, which I think also implies that Martha wasn't just being a good hostess. That she might have been doing a little bit too much. She might have been doing the most. Maybe they were at a time where she could have actually sat and listened and joined into the conversation, but there were other things that were pulling her away. I mean, if Jesus showed up at your house, wouldn't you try to be a good host? Wouldn't you throw the toys in the closet or at least try to, to clean the bathroom or make it smell good at least? You try to be impressive in some way, right? But she completely missed Jesus in the midst of all that. And that for us can be kind of terrifying, right? 
that we can be doing a lot of good things for Jesus, trying to love and serve him in so many different ways while missing him altogether. He's in the house, but we're not there because we're pulled away by something else. You know how many sermons have been preached? How many missionaries have been sent out? How many people have been served? How many people have been taught about Jesus while really in their hearts they were pulled away from Jesus all the while? That's scary. That's terrifying. And again, this is not that Martha didn't matter and that her service didn't matter to the Lord. But nothing should pull our hearts away from Jesus. That's the point of it. And the heart, of, uh, the, the heart of this and the hard part about this is that for many of us, and I'll include myself, sometimes it can be easier to serve than to sit at Jesus' feet. To serve people at church in one, in one way or another than to sit and listen to his word. To give to others than to receive from others. To help others than to receive help from others. To pray for others and offer your requests up to your brothers and sisters, or to receive those prayer requests, then you being the one that is on the receiving end. Sometimes it's hard to receive help from others. Martha was not only serving, though. She was also looking. She was looking around, and who she didn't see was her sister. She saw her sister not helping, but sitting. So then she rushes in and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve? Tell her to help me. That doesn't seem like it was polite. It sounded like she just rushed in. Do you not care? I'm overworked. I'm overlooked. I need help. Do you not care, Lord? Does anybody feel that way this morning? I'm stressed. I'm overworked. I'm overlooked. I need help. Now, how should Jesus respond to her in that moment? He could have said, no, you need to be more like your sister, Mary. Sit down and listen to me. Or see, there you go again, always distracted, always serving. I thought I told you about that before. Sort of mocking her in a way. Or he could have said, you accusing me of not caring for you? Let me count all the ways that I care for you. How dare you? Insult me. No, Jesus doesn't respond that way at all. Jesus responded to Martha by telling her that she didn't merely need help, but by reminding her that she needed him. And he gave her a standing invitation to sit at his feet. In our lives, when we feel anxious and overwhelmed and stressed, we don't merely need an extra set of hands around the house. We need the Lord himself. We need his presence. That's exactly why Jesus responds in the way that he does in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I don't think Jesus was frustrated with Martha. I don't think he was annoyed with her. Remember, he loves her, right? Just like he loved Mary. So I think the Martha, Martha there was kind of trying to calm her down. Martha, Martha, listen to me for a minute. But notice that Jesus loves her enough to tell her the truth that she needs to hear. It's the truth that we often need to hear. 
you are anxious and troubled about many things. And maybe Martha was trying to be a good hostess, trying to make a good impression on Jesus. Maybe she was just really ambitious. ambitious. But sometimes I think we have to wrestle with how we might be adding to our own anxieties and troubles through our own ambition. Maybe it's the New Year's resolutions that you set for yourself that the Lord has not placed on you, and yet every day you try and fail, that's just another burden placed on you. Maybe it's your five-year plan that you have with your job, and you're in year four, and you don't think you're quite going to make it. So that's bringing some more anxiety to you. Maybe you're a teenager in the room, and you kind of have your life planned out already. You know what the next several years are going to look like, and you want to get there, and you want to get there quickly. Or maybe someone you love very much has your next several years planned out for you. They have a good plan for your life. You're trying to live up for that. Or maybe we're just really zealous for the Lord. We want people to come to Christ. We want to preach. We want to teach. We want to make disciples. We want to help and serve in the church. We want to be good neighbors, good witnesses, good co-workers. We want to be good husbands and wives, good fathers, good mothers, daughters. We want to be good and excellent in every single area of our lives. But is your pursuit of excellence getting in the way of you pursuing Jesus himself? If this is hitting home for you, it's because I'm speaking out of my own life and my own experience. There's been a couple different times where I can remember hitting that wall of burnout, where I wanted to be, I was on fire for the Lord and and zealous for good works and trying to be excellent in every single area of my life, doing whatever anybody else needed, whenever they needed it, but then eventually hit that wall of burnout. And then it happened again a few years later, so I quite didn't learn my lesson. Similar burnout, same drive, same motivation for excellence to to be, uh, to glorify the Lord in every area of my life. But then there's just a wall of burnout that I hit that came out in my attitude, my posture, my heart, my words, as we were uh, learning about at the, the retreat this weekend. And you might feel the same way this morning. Maybe you feel guilty about your time with the Lord, or maybe you feel like lack thereof. Maybe you think, I would love to be much more like Mary, but there's all this Martha stuff that needs to get done. Or my job is so demanding, and my my boss keeps putting more demands on me. Or if I don't serve, if I don't go, if I don't do, if I don't stay a little bit longer, the work might get done, but it's not going to get done the way that I would do it. In both cases in my life, the Lord used people to shake me out of that. Literally, a friend come up to me one time, grabbed my shoulders, and says, you are going to wreck your family and your life. Let's have a talk. Or at another time where a pastor invited himself to my home, asked me a lot of really invasive questions, and then said, I think you should read this book called Zeal Without Burnout which I would highly recommend if you live more on the Martha side of things. Um, I don't think I'd be here without that, quite frankly. God used these people in my life to remind me of what we often need to be reminded of. Is that I'm not the Lord. You're not the Lord. You didn't make everything. He did. You don't sustain everything. 
He does. He doesn't need rest, but you often need rest. He never sleeps or slumbers, but you should get some sleep. He doesn't need strength, but you often need strength. He doesn't need our help, but you need his help and the help of others. His ways and thoughts are higher than ours, and we need wisdom directly from him. We need him, but he has all that he needs in and of himself. We are the ones that he created. Out of dust, like we were reminded of this morning in that prayer, we are frail, we sin, we stray, we struggle. Our motives are mixed at best oftentimes. And yet for us, wayward, suffering, weak, and frail people, the Lord of all sent his son to come to this world for us, to take on the burden that we could never take on for ourselves. The penalty of our sin, which we deserve to die in Jesus' place. But he died in our place, being the one who never had any sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we become the righteousness of God himself. He died, but he was buried, and then he rose with all power. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you, praying for you, preparing a place for you. He's already done the hard part for us. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're a new coming to CBC, or you're still struggling and wrestling with this, maybe you also have struggles and burdens and anxieties in your life. That's kind of normal. Let me tell you, you don't just need help. You don't just need a rest or mental health day. You need Jesus. You need salvation. There's plenty of people who would love to talk to you about that. And my brothers and sisters, remember that you are loved by God, full stop. Not because of what you do for God or what you've done for God or what you want to do for God. You are loved by God because he's decided to love you. So don't place your identity in the things that you do for him that will not hold you up, but he can and he will. That means any time that we spend at the feet of Jesus, It's helpful, it's worth it, and will not be wasted. And again, if you feel like you're more of Martha in this season of life, some of your burdens are not going to change just because you heard this sermon. Let me just tell you, it might just be a really busy and hard season for you. But Jesus is giving you a standing invitation to sit at his feet. And that offer still stands today because he's the one thing that's necessary. Now let's look at Jesus, the good portion. Jesus, the good portion. Jesus told Martha that she was anxious and troubled about many things. He went on to say this, verse 42. One thing is necessary. Think about that contrast. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but how many things are necessary? Jesus says one. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So what's the one thing that's necessary? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, being in his presence. That's why it says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet. That's why she listened to him. She didn't debate him. She didn't try to impress him. She just sat at his feet. 
And again, let's be reminded of the Jesus that she's sitting at. She's sitting at his feet. This is the Jesus that through whom the whole world was created. And he upholds everything by the word of his power. He's the one that wrapped himself in flesh so that we could be wrapped up in God's gracious love. And he's the one that's called the friend of sinners. He's the one that came, became sinners for, sin for us. He's the one that rose from the grave for our good. This is Jesus, and he is the good portion. Now, one thing that's necessary is being with him. So as you organize your schedules, brothers and sisters, as you think about your time and your week, you have a lot of things to do. It's like many of us have a lot of things to do. But have you ever thought that there's one thing that's necessary? There's one thing that's necessary, and that's to be in the presence of Jesus. Many of us know that, though, right? That's why some of us, once we heard this was the passage, we were like, ah, I know what's coming, right? And maybe you feel like you're not doing very well in, that, in this season of your life. Um, what I would really hate to do is just give you a list of here's what you need to do for your time with Jesus. Go ahead and do these three or four things, and that's going to sort everything out. Because as you know, life's not as simple as that. But I think a lot of it deals with our posture and our attitude. So let me offer up these two sort of categories. I think we can think about our humility, but also our flexibility. So our humility in acknowledging that Jesus is right. There is one thing that's necessary. I do need to sit at Jesus' feet. I need him, not just yesterday, but every day every single hour. I need him desperately. So allow your sin, allow your struggles, allow your frustrations, allow your anxieties, allow the the times that the sin peaks in your home. You have to repent of that, or you see things ugly about you, or or a loved one points things out to you. Allow that to be a gracious reminder of the fact that you still need Jesus. You still need him. And he's also still available. He's still wonderful and still merciful. So our humility, but also our flexibility. Some of you know I lived in London for a few years, and my work commute was extremely long, and I've long lamented that. Like, it was was pretty hard. But you know the best part about that? I didn't have to drive. And I got several hours, maybe three, three and a half hours sometime, a day to sit on a bus or a train while somebody else drove me around. It was glorious. I got to wake up in the morning, stumble out of bed, eventually wake up while I was on the train, and then have this set-apart time where I can sit in God's Word, where I could read, where I could meditate, where I could journal, all before I got to work. And then we moved back to Miami, and they don't quite do public transportation in Miami. Like, you got to do it yourself, basically. So that had to change, right? If I, if I was trying to do that or recreate that, it just wouldn't work out for me. I had to be flexible. So what worked in one season of life for my time with the Lord had to be changed. So my, my application is, or my encouragement for you, is to be flexible. That might need to change day to day or week to week. 
Some of us are caregivers in the room, or we're mothers, and we have several children, and you hear phrases like quiet time, and you laugh at that. Like, what is that? What does that even mean? How is that possible? But sometimes I think we might be trying to recreate environments that we had previously in other seasons of our lives that, by God's grace and in his sovereignty, doesn't exist anymore. So maybe your two-hour block that you had before is going to have to be scattered across the week in several different chunks where you find that time where you rush to get it, like Jesus escaping and finding time to go pray to the Father. Maybe we have to be decisive and, and distinctive about, about some of those things. It's going, to be, it's going to look differently. Maybe us husbands need to step in and say, no, you just need to go so you can spend time with the Lord. There's all sorts of ways, but we've got to be a little bit more flexible than maybe some of us are. Our burdens might be because we're placing burdens on ourselves that the Lord hasn't. One thing I was saying about yesterday, it doesn't say how long that Mary sat at Jesus' feet. It doesn't say. It could have been hours. It could have been moments. But it was necessary for her to sit at Jesus' feet. Yes, we are busy and we have lots of things that we need to care for. But being with the Lord is not just good, it's not just encouraging, it's not just a spiritual pick-me-up, this is not a pep rally. Jesus says that this is necessary for us to spend time in his word, necessary for us to gather as you have this morning with brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for and with each other, to go to the Lord and go to brothers and sisters in Christ with your cares to remind each other of the good news, to remind each other of the hope that we have in Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the good portion that will not be taken away from us. Another word for that, or another translation for that word portion is the word inheritance. What a father or parents would pass off to their children. If you were a good son or good daughter, you would treasure that inheritance with all of your heart, with all of your might. We should treasure the Lord. Isn't that what you learned about last week? Psalm 16, verse 11 says, In your presence is the fullness of joy, and that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Christ is the one that we should treasure for all of our days. And guess what? Jesus Christ also treasures you. It says, in his presence is the fullness of joy, but the Bible also says, for the joy that was set before Jesus, he went to the cross for you, for me, for us. And he has not left us as orphans. He has not left us to figure this out on our own. He's given us one another. He's given us the church. He's given us his Holy Spirit within us. He's given us his word. We have all that we need in him for life and godliness. And he will not be taken away from you. A lot of the goals that we have or the things that we're trying to achieve, things that we're trying to do, we might get it, and then we might lose it. And at the end of it all, we're going to lose it anyway. But what about the presence of Jesus? Will we lose that? Never. We will never lose him. He will never lose us. He will keep us to the very end. So that means that any portion of our time, of our day, that's spent with the Lord is never wasted. And it's worth any effort. 
Reminds me of an illustration that a college professor used at one point. Maybe you heard of it. It was about rocks and pebbles and sand. He kind of went into the classroom with rocks, pebbles, and sand on the desk and a jar. I'm like, okay, how are we going to get everything on this, on this table into this jar? Put the sand in first and then the pebbles and then the rocks and it wouldn't fit. Tried another way and that didn't work either, right? But you put the big rocks in first and then the pebbles could fit and then the sand can go all the way through it and it all fit. And that's, that's good, right? Like that's helpful. That might be helpful for you to think the big blocks in your life, put that in first. Those are your priorities. Everything else it needs to kind of slot around it. But I think if Jesus were to take that illustration and remix it a little bit, there'd be one rock on that table. He'd say, that rock is me. Everything else needs to slot around that. Because he's the good portion. And why is he saying that? Is it because he's, he's prudent? Is it because he's arrogant? Or is it because he just wants all this, this worship and glory? He just, no, it's because it's necessary. He wants what's best for us. And Jesus is what's best for us. We should also ask ourselves what Peter asked Jesus in John chapter 6. Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Ray Ortland, the former pastor, tells this story of the uh, final days of his father's life, final moments. He writes this, and I'll just read it as we close. He says, early on Sunday, July 22nd, 2007, my dad woke up in his hospital room in Newport Beach. He knew it was finally his day of release from this life. He had the nurse call the family in. My wife, Jannie, and I were far away in Ireland for ministry that day. We didn't know what was happening back at home. The family gathered at Dad's bedside. They read scripture, and they sang hymns. And Dad spoke a word, a patriarchal blessing, and admonition to each one, a message suited to encourage and guide. He pronounced over them all the blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And then quietly he fell asleep. He passed away. Later, I asked my sister, Ray goes on to say, later I asked my sister about what was dad's message to me. He said, tell Bud, ministry isn't everything. Jesus is. My brothers and sisters, your job is not everything. Your house is not everything. Your plans are not everything. Your retirement is not everything. Your dreams, your goals, your ambitions, your family is not everything. Your church is not everything. Your serving is not everything. Your ministry is not everything. But Jesus is everything. He's the good portion, and he's ours forevermore. Let me pray for us. Oh, God, we need your help. In every single way, as we just talked about, we need you every hour. This is hard to hear for many of us and also hard to apply in a lot of seasons of life. Lord, be with my brothers and sisters right now. Lord, help us to lovingly, willingly, and graciously sit at your feet because you are what's good and best for us. 
or help us as we think about our lives, our days, our futures, which we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But if we don't have tomorrow, we have you if we are in Christ. Help us to treasure you. Help us to help one another in treasuring you. You help us as we seek to uh, do your word and honor you with our lives. We'll treasure you above all in Jesus' name. Amen.